Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I'm just saying, if I were Solomon, he's a very smart guy. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I nearly got it once. <laughs> I nearly got it. And I could have gotten, I, I could have killed him. September 10th. September 10th, 2001. Approximately 10 hours before the onset of these September 11th terror attacks in Melbourne, Australia. That was the voice of former President Clinton speaking to a group of business professionals. I know that's kind of hard to hear. So this is what Bill Clinton said September 10th, 2001, about 10 hours before the 9-11 attacks began. He's a very smart guy talking about Osama bin Laden. I spent a lot of time thinking about him. And I nearly got him once. I nearly got him. And I could have killed him. Now, that wasn't just poorly timed. That was a heavy dose of reality. And right about now, you're thinking, hold on, why the heck are you talking about Bin Laden? Why are you talking about Bill Clinton? Soleimani, the situation today. Give you an idea of what came to mind straight away. And thank you, as always, for listening. Brian Mudd filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. Hosts the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, and the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. And with my daily shows, my first morning show is on from 5 until 9, and uh, my second show is on from 10 until noon. So I'm a real party animal, and on the average night, I'm in bed, having lived it up by about 7 o'clock, and I'm up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Last night was one of those typical nights. And when I get up in the morning, I do probably something similar to what you do. Alarm hits, pop up in bed, grab my phone, and I take a look real quick at all the various different alerts because I'm trying to figure out if there's anything big that's happened and see what I might need to be thinking about as I'm getting ready to head station and, and you know, get set for the, for the shows. And so I see all the alerts about Salomani. And I didn't read anything beyond just the authorization by President Trump on the airstrike to take him out. And so my initial thought is, amen. It's a huge win. But beyond that, where my brain instantly went was to the 9-11 Commission report. Now, if you've heard me discuss the premise, there being two sides to stories and one side to facts, this will make sense to you. So I believe that no matter what the issue is, we always have to establish the premise. Because if you 
operate on a false premise. Anything that's built upon it will be false, too. You're going to be misled. That's where our education establishment falls flat near daily. That's where our godless souls and slenders news media leads us astray daily. That's where leftists are off the rails daily. So to get to the premise, I was thinking about the authorization of an airstrike. Now, I had no idea at this point, all the way into work. I, you know, that was it. I, I know what's going on. I'm getting ready. It takes me about 10 minutes to get in and out in the morning. I'm just trying to get up and get to work. And on the way to work, I'm thinking about my game plan and what I want to research, what I want to dig into to be able to discuss. And so I immediately want to get into that 9-11 commission report. But then when I get to the station, I suddenly see that this became a partisan issue. And I'm in... WTF territory pretty quickly. Because how in the world did the leader of state-sponsored terrorism in the world become a controversial issue? Eliminating him. Once upon a time, that would be cause for celebration. You know, we talk about politics ending at the water's edge. We know that went away a long time ago. But even to the extent that we that ship has sailed... We still, once upon a time, could identify a terrorist, could I identify a threat to Americans, an American interest, and go, yeah, getting rid of those people, it's a good thing. So then, I'm in holy crap territory, as I'm starting to take in the feedback by leftists. And before I even got into what I wanted to find in the 9-11 Commission report, I'm seeing Biden's comment. President Trump just tossed a stick of dynamite into a tinderbox. So you're saying you wouldn't have done it, Joe Biden? I see Bernie Sanders. Trump's dangerous escalation brings us closer to another disastrous war in the Middle East that could cost countless lives and trillions more dollars. So you wouldn't have done it, Bernie? Elizabeth Warren. This reckless move escalates the situation with Iran and increases the likelihood of more deaths and the new Middle East conflict. New Middle East conflict? Freaking planet are you from, woman? Are you serious? I mean, hello? Our priority must be to avoid another costly war. And by the way, you'll notice the theme here with these. You'll notice the theme being, apparently, the way to not have an escalation of conflict, it's just to let him kill us. Because that way he doesn't escalate. You just go ahead and you let the terrorist take us out, take our interest out, and that way it doesn't get any bigger than what they decide to kill. I mean, it's kind of cool, right? Then I see Nancy Pelosi. Trump administration has conducted strikes in Iraq targeting high-level Iranian military officials. You notice what happened here. You notice how she even went PC with that, granting additional legitimacy, all in the name of her political interest. Here you have someone who is responsible since 1979 when he became part of a terrorist movement in Iran. Someone who's been credited with not fewer than 600 murders of Americans. Trump administration has conducted strikes in Iraq, 
targeting high-level Iranian military officials and killing Iranian Quds Force Commander Soleimani without an AUMF. See, so you wouldn't have done it, Nancy. And we're now playing PC, granting additional legitimacy to a terrorist leader responsible for the death of more than 600 Americans. There's more, but you get the idea. And at this point, and it's one of these moments where it's like, you know, kind of shame on me. I'm coming across this stuff and I'm saying, like, you know what, I shouldn't be surprised. I just shouldn't. Right, but we—I'm still that person who, when I wake up in the morning and I get going, I believe that we're a country of good, and I actually believe that most people, most people, really do want want what's best. I think a lot of people are confused as heck about how to get there, but I really do think most people are going to do the right thing given the opportunity. And I guess in some form and fashion, I even expect that to a certain extent. I mean, not much, but when it comes to terrorism with leftists and government. But I guess they should know better. Now, Clinton. Once again, this is what he said approximately 10 hours before the 9-11 terror attacks began. I'm just saying, you know, if I were Osama bin Laden, he's a very smart guy. Spent a lot of time thinking about him, and I nearly got him once. I nearly got him. And I could have killed him. Now, here is where I want to pay some deference, some benefit of the doubt, and suspect that as irresponsible as it was for him not to pull the trigger, not to give the authorization to take bin Laden out. It's where I'd like to believe that had it been 10 hours later, there wouldn't have been any question about what he should have done. See, what led up to that moment was this. February 26th, 1993. Six people killed when the first bombing the Twin Towers took place, the World Trade Center. Remember that? February 26, 1993. We're all very naive back then. Next up, June 25, 1996. A bomb and a fuel truck killed 19 American soldiers in Saudi Arabia. Then August 7, 1998. Two truck bombs at U.S. embassies, killing 12 Americans. And finally, after that, Bill Clinton names bin Laden as our biggest enemy. And he started an operation to root out bin Laden and his interest. And it was during the course of this operation that on three separate occasions... Intelligence officials, in conjunction with the Pentagon and defense officials, brought up the possibility of taking out Osama bin Laden. And there was one in particular, the one 
which Bill Clinton was referencing. This one, May 1999, in Kandahar, Afghanistan. I'll tell you about that 9-11 commission report in a quote about what Bill Clinton didn't do. But right now, contrast that with what we know with Soleimani being responsible for the killing of more than 600 Americans. This is what President Trump stands for. Under my leadership, America's policy is unambiguous to terrorists who harm or intend to harm any American. We will find you. We will eliminate you. We will always protect our diplomats, service members, all Americans, and our allies. Any question about what the right decision is? Any question as to if we should follow the leftist and pull a Clinton part two? And tell you what I was searching for that I eventually found that ended up being emblazoned on my brain from that 9-11 commission report. We'll get, that, get to that and contrast it with Soleimani in this situation today next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin. As the new year begins, Hillsdale College thanks you for your loyalty to freedom. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Imprimus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership in extending its mission to the rest of the country. Happy New Year from Hillsdale College. And to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Soleimani was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on American diplomats and military personnel, but we caught him in the act and terminated him. Yep, there we go. Any questions? Any questions about how we do business around here? Any questions about protecting American interest? Any questions about escalating anything? Who wants to be terminated? Now, Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. Get you up to speed if you're just joining us. So many, this situation, the authorized airstrike taking out the top state sponsor of terror in the world last night. Got me thinking. Got me thinking about the terrorists that got away. Got me thinking about Bill Clinton and what he decided not to do. And Bill Clinton's own words approximately 10 hours before the first of the 9-11 terror attacks. He pointed out that he thought a lot about Osama bin Laden. And he said he nearly got him once, and he could have killed him. But he chose not to. 
Might have been some collateral damage. Now, I was thinking about the 9-11 Commission report, and I wanted to make sure I found the information that I was thinking of and had an accurate quote. Because in May 1999, in Kandahar, Afghanistan, from the 9-11 Commission report, Osama bin Laden was spotted by the CIA as part of an operation launched against bin Laden and al-Qaeda that began in August of 98. And a senior military official, as part of the commission report, had this to say. This was in our strike zone. It was a fat pitch, a home run. That was the characterization. That was the characterization of the ability for the U.S. military to successfully eliminate Osama bin Laden, the airstrike, in May 1999. He went on to say, in this 9-11 Commission report, that no one, not one person at the Pentagon or the CIA, thought it was a bad gamble. But Bill Clinton did, and that's all that mattered. In the 9-11 Commission report, the response when they were told to stand down, quoting, we all just slumped. He should have been a dead man that night. There are two sides to stories and one side of facts. If Bill Clinton had did what no one at the Pentagon and no one at the CIA thought was a bad gamble, Osama bin Laden, more than two years before the 9-11 terror attacks, is a dead man. Soleimani, part of the Iranian terror network since 1979, top leader of state-sponsored terror in the world, responsible for 600-plus American deaths. Most recently, the death of an American contractor in Iraq. And by the way, it wasn't just the contractor. We actually had numerous Servicemen that were injured in that attack as well. Followed up by what? Followed up by the orchestrated attacks at our embassy in Iraq. We have a president now who gets it. A president that when he's provided information from the CIA and from the Pentagon that no one thinks is a bad gamble, takes the shot and saves American lives. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. You hear me talk about Hillsdale College a lot, about its rigorous classical liberal arts curriculum, about its exceptionally bright and patriotic students. 175 years ago, Hillsdale College was founded with a mission defined by four enduring purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. While many institutions have lost their way, Hillsdale College maintains an unwavering commitment to learning, character, faith, and freedom. I've also talked about the great Dr. Larry Arne, the president of Hillsdale College. It's one of the finest Americans I've ever known. And he explains that these four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, remain inseparable in the activity of education at Hillsdale College. He says, learning is difficult and takes more than talent. It takes hard work, which requires character. Freedom is essential for learning, but it is fragile and constantly under threat 
so its principles must be studied by all for the sake of its defense. At Hillsdale, faith and learning are integrated toward God because he is the first authority. Folks, if you've ever wondered why I love Hillsdale College, now you know. Visit hillsdale.edu. That's hillsdale.edu for more information. Hillsdale College, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. Remember, that's hillsdale.edu, hillsdale.edu. An unapologetic patriot and unapologetic constitutionalist. You can reach him at 877-381-3811. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war. And that is what you do when you put an end to a threat. And when you have the top sponsor of terror in the world that you eliminate, you de-escalate a threat. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. For all of the leftists who immediately decided that they no longer were aligned with American interests, and they not only were part of the blame America first crowd, but anything that is opposed to Trump, you often heard about an escalation. Bernie Sanders, Trump's dangerous escalation brings us closer to another disastrous war. Let me ask you, if you have the top leader of state sponsor of terror in the world and you eliminate him, are you more or less likely to have additional attacks in the future? Elizabeth Warren, this reckless move escalates the situation with Iran. So how do we de-escalate? Again, is the only option just to let them kill who and what they want to kill when they want to? Because that de-escalates because there are fewer of us because they've eliminated us and our interests around the world? See, quite literally, with that mindset, there is an interest that is aligned with Iran, not the United States of America. There is no way to spin that type of rhetoric and that type of mindset, and there's no excuse that can be made relative to presidential politics in an election cycle that forgives any of it. You're either with us or against us when it comes to our safety. There is but one thing, one, that is a non-negotiable for our federal government, and that is the protection of us. Only thing these people actually have to do as a requirement at the federal government, protect us. And they don't even want to do that on the left anymore. Imagine if these people were in charge. Illustrated the point about the numerous terrorist attacks that Osama bin Laden carried out. How Bill Clinton was keenly aware, identified Osama bin Laden in August of 98 as the top threat to the United States of America. Then had three subsequent opportunities to take him out. One in particular in which no one at the Pentagon and no one in the intelligence communities thought was a bad risk. And he still didn't take it. Because there might be some collateral damage. Now, you have somebody who's already responsible for more than six hundred 
Americans being dead. For proxy wars that he spun all over the region. For an attack that took out an American contractor just recently. Who orchestrated an attack on our embassy in Iraq just earlier this week. And who was landing for what purpose in Baghdad. According to our intelligence communities, for more terror attacks, for more attacks against Americans and our interests. And if you had Joe Biden in a position of power, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Nancy Pelosi, numerous others, he's out there right now carrying out those plans. The United States of America is less safe. Our interests around the world is less safe. There are Americans that would end up dead. We just don't know exactly what yet. Two sides to stories, one side of facts. Those happen to be them. Now, ironically enough, I have my what amounted to 13 pages of notes, mainly bullet points and a couple of quotes that I threw in here uh, as part of my prep for tonight's show. My set number two bullet point is something I had not mentioned yet, but it's something that Tony from New York City was thinking of. So, Tony, I'm not going to steal your thunder. I think you have a gold star thought. Tony, go. Yeah, thanks a lot, Brian. Yeah, I, I just couldn't understand why that side was heaping praise on this guy and why they were walking around on their toes. And it came to my mind was, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And they view Trump as their enemy. So it's that simple. Exactly right. And that is my number two bullet point tonight. Enemy of my enemy is my friend. Joe Biden, President Trump just tossed a stick of dynamite into a tinderbox. Oh, okay. So you're the enemy of President Trump. You're the enemy of the action he took to eliminate the threat. Therefore, you are, Joe Biden, a friend of the mullahs in Iran. You are a friend of Iranian terrorists today. Bernie Sanders, Trump's dangerous escalation brings us closer to another disastrous war in the Middle East that could cost countless lives and trillions more dollars. Then you are an enemy of President Trump's action. You are aligned with the interests that would be preferred by the mullahs in Iran. You are aligned with the interest today, Bernie Sanders, of Iranian terrorists. Elizabeth Warren, this reckless move escalates the situation with Iran and increases the likelihood of more deaths and new Middle East conflict. Our priority must be to avoid another costly war. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right on point. Let's go to Jimmy in Brooklyn. Jimmy, go. Great show. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. A little bit of history here. Iran, when we were, we were kids, I never heard of Iran. Iran was like, I ran after the ball. We never heard of the country. And then all of a sudden, there were protests all over the world against the Shah of Iran. Iran was a bulwark against Soviet expansionism. So the radical left wanted to get Iran out of control of the Shah, the Shah out of, you know, make the Shah lose control. 
So President Carter, first you had all these protests all over the place about how bad the Shah was. The American media kept playing up, and so they built this movement. President Carter with the American media, in other words, the United Left, helped topple the Shah. So the Shah went from being an enemy of Russia and a friend of ours to now an ally of Russia and an enemy of ours. Iran involved with war games, training, weapons, everything with Russia and China. So Carter and the Democrats helped make Iran the enemy that it is. It's basically the Soviet hand in the Iranian glove. They're getting weapons, they're doing terror all over the world, and this didn't have to happen. So the same people who are now complaining about Trump, they want something to happen. So what your call, the college you just talked about said is true. Yeah. The threat Always to America been. is Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, radical Islam, the drug cartels, the KGB mafia, the Democrat Party, and the media. That is a lot of people to have aligned against you. And, and, and they- Jimmy, that's uh, all you got to say about that. And it's well done. No, you're right on point. And let's add in, uh, because the dots you just connected are correct. There's a bit more to this story as well. So being uh, in South Florida, one thing, pay quite a bit of attention to what goes on in the region. So the Cuban interest. Well, who influences Cuba and Cuban policy? Now, having a foothold strategically there, well, we know what that led to, right? Uh, We had a little missile crisis. But wait, they're all still influencing in the region. The instability you see in Venezuela, who's behind that? Who's ensuring that stays in place? Who keeps Maduro in power? Uh, None other than Vladimir Putin. These are all interconnected. And yes, you did, did see Putin out today talking about what a horrible move this was and how President Trump just totally took a Iranian deal off the table. Please. Like that was going to happen in the first place. Very interesting. Now, in the context of the conversation you were just advancing, keep your eye on China. I've been looking for them today, staying quiet. You know, their economy. It really is something that President Trump so successfully has navigated that not only uh, have they not necessarily reared their ugly head as of yet, as we're in a phase one trade deal that is on the precipice of being signed, but they also might be keeping NOCO in check. Remember that Christmas present we were going to get by Little Rocket Man? Guilty pleasure. And we got another one of those references from the president recently. And we had another threat after Christmas. Now, still hasn't happened. Could it be that North Korea isn't acting out because China is not letting Little Rocket Man deliver his presence in whatever form or fashion he's thinking? Why? Because China's economy is in the tubes. And why is China's economy in the tubes? Because President Trump effectively negotiated policy utilizing tariffs to rein in their economy. And what's happened with our economy? Well, everything that the leftists and your godless souls and slanderous news media dead wrong about. How it was going to kill us. How, oh my gosh, these Chinese tariffs. You're going to go to the store and you're not going to be able to afford anything. And all that's happened has been record employment in this country. Record wages in this country. 
record opportunity in this country. Record low unemployment for every minority group in the United States of America. Record retirement accounts. Record prosperity, period, in our economy while simultaneously making China have to come to us and potentially keep North Korea in check. You're right, it's all interconnected. And it speaks to the overall brilliance, not only of the president's willingness to carry out security measures, but the long-term plan to have peace not just through military strength, economic strength. That gives you a heck of a lot more leverage and impacts all these other wannabes on the world stage, like the little rocket mans. And even to a certain extent, keeps the Putins of the world in check. Let's go to Jacob in Birmingham, Alabama. Jacob, go. Hi, Brian. Good to speak with you today. Yeah, thanks for calling. Uh, Happy New Year. and. Happy New Year. Uh, Good news to start out the Happy New Year of eating a, a terrorist that was attacked, uh, that, helped, that helped attack our embassy and killed some people over there. And it's good that we have a president that can handle the situation in crisis, protect America, and keep our interest and keep our, you know, protecting our interests over there in the Middle East. And we need to continue on doing that and protecting America from those aspects of terrorism and protect America from. Immigration that are coming, immigrants that are coming across the border. We don't know who's coming across. We got to vet the people that are coming across the border, and we got to keep an eye on Iraq and keep keep an eye on the, the current Ebola outbreak and, and keep an eye on the migrants coming across. You know, we just right. got to keep you know, you got to keep an eye on this stuff. Well, well, Jacob, good good news. I mean, what are, what are you talking about? Good news here. I mean, haven't you paid attention to CNN or MSNBC? Haven't you read the New York Times? I mean, what good news are you talking about? We're we're out of the middle of a crisis here. I mean, you know, you just you, you got those uh, rose-colored glasses on is all, and all that money in your your bank account and everything. Appreciate the call. Let's go to Ralph in Red Bank, New Jersey. Ralph, go. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my call, Brian. As you know, uh, the uh, the long shadow of uh, terrorism is upon us after 9-11, and, you know, in the age of terrorism, we are told if you see something, say something. In the, You know, President Trump has taken the right call here by not only seeing something, but doing something about, about you know, at that situation. Yeah, it's funny how and, that works, huh? You know, the... Um, so a caller mentioned about the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I look at the Democratic Party as their own worst enemy. I mean, look at the lineup. For goodness sake, they are undesirables. Okay? Uh, they are, you're, you're, you're right on point, Ralph. And it's not it, – what frustrates me, I, I am a pragmatist. And as I mentioned at the onset of the show, even when I wake up, in the morning, I, I don't wake up expecting the worst out of anybody. I didn't expect that taking out Soleimani would be a partisan event. So that surprises me. But we're in that world now to where even eliminating the biggest terror threat in the world is something that Democrats are now opposed to. That makes them opposed to the best interests of the United States of America. And that is disqualifying. I'd agree. I'm Brian Mudd. In for the great one. Mark Lovin.
As the new year begins, Hillsdale College thanks you for your loyalty to freedom. Since 1844, Hillsdale has held fast to its mission to provide the kind of education essential to preserving free government. And for decades, the college has extended its educational mission on behalf of Liberty through a variety of outreach programs. Perhaps you receive Imprimus for free every month or have taken one of Hillsdale's excellent free online courses or have attended one of Hillsdale's free regional events. You know of Hillsdale's refusal to take even one penny of government money. Now, this independence allows the college to focus on its core purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom without government interference. So during this season of blessings, Hillsdale thanks you for your partnership and extending its mission to the rest of the country. Happy New Year from Hillsdale College. And to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Just as Israel has the right of self-defense, the United States has exactly the same right. Qasem Soleimani is responsible for the death of American citizens and many other innocent people. He was planning more such attacks. President Trump deserves all the credit for acting swiftly, forcefully, decisively. Israel stands with the United States in its just struggle for peace, security, and self-defense. Well, there's Benjamin Netanyahu. More pro-American than every Democrat running for president that spoke about Soleimani today in the attack. More pro-American than the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. More pro-American than Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer. You know, it's an interesting thing. Brian Mudd in for Mark Levin. And as I've been walking through this hour, started out drawing some comparisons to... 9-11, and what Bill Clinton didn't do. Having the opportunity with the intelligence communities on a minimum of three occasions to eliminate the threat. One time in particular, in the 9-11 Commission report, quoting the report and top officials reporting, not one official at the CIA, not one official at the Pentagon, Thought it was a bad risk. But Bill Clinton told him to stand down. This, when Osama bin Laden had already been declared by President Clinton as the top threat to the United States of America. 9-11 is what happens when you do what Democrats are advocating. 600 plus Americans already dead due to Soleimani. And there's hesitation when the intelligence communities come back. There's hesitation when the Pentagon comes back and says, you got a clean shot. It's the responsible thing to do when you're president of the United States. That's acting in the American interest. It's not what the Democrats stand for. Let's talk about that hypocrisy regarding the intelligence communities. We'll get to that next. Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Here. Now. 
now, broadcasting from, from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. The lack of advanced consultation and transparency with Congress can lead to hasty and ill-considered decisions. When the security of the nation is at stake, decisions must not be made in a vacuum. Hey, you know who that guy is? It's a guy with a 28% approval rating. Who doesn't want more Chuck Schumer in their lives, really? But see, he thinks you're stupid, and he counts on you being stupid, as does everybody on the left these days. They count on you being stupid. And the first thing is, if you're here, if you're listening, congratulations for having survived the education establishment. If you went through the public education establishment, you get two gold stars. They have had, I mean, let's give them credit, a concerted effort decades long and highly successful. I mean, we are in a country where AOC is a representative of people. It's amazing. I mean, in a sane world, people would say, you know what? Probably would be best served by not representing yourself. But no, in this crazy world, you got enough confused people to where she represents others, too. Where you have someone like Elaine Omar that actually is, actually is an overt supporter of Islamic terrorism. Now, isn't that cute? And she's got friends like Tlaib. See, I mean, look, they have made a great deal of credit. But it's where reality sets in. And often, if you're a constitutionalist, if you have a clue, if you didn't just survive the education establishment, but you thrived beyond it, something you've realized over the course of time is that, you know what? There is always conflict. There's always going to be a battle. But we're actually winning. We're actually winning. The reason that Soleimani is dead today is because Donald Trump is president of the United States. And the reason that Donald Trump is president of the United States is because of you. See, one of the things that the Chuck Schumers of the world count on once you have survived the education establishment and their concerted effort to dumb you down and get you to embrace the false premise is that uh, you, you actually are watching CNN. And, you know, Chuck hasn't realized that the only people left that watch CNN are held hostage at an airport. Chuck, just know, the only people who watch CNN are trapped in airports. They don't have a choice. They're held hostage. It actually should be, you know, like uh, considered a, a form of abuse. It certainly is intellectually. By the way, I'm Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Talk about two sides of stories, one side of facts, getting to the premise of things. That's why I'm a little bit of an odd duck in the way I get from point A to point B. I host a morning show, The Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach. And a uh, hour after that show ends, I host The Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. It's always an honor and a pleasure being here with you. Now, Chuck Schumer's talking about Trump making that decision in a vacuum. And the reason I'm talking about Schumer and company, counting on you, being ill-informed. Did Donald Trump make that decision in the vacuum? Now, what he's saying is, when you had 
the intelligence community, get in touch with them, Pentagon get in touch with them, say, hey, uh, we, we got them lined up. And Trump said, let's do it. See, what, uh, what, what they expected, evidently, is that you pick up the phone and you say, well, hang on, guys. I know you got a clean shot on them right now, but I need to see what Nancy would say. Right? I mean, because that's what you do. When you got a terrorist squared up, you, you reach out, you phone a friend, you, you phone Nancy. Play. Hey, Nancy, uh, here's what we got in real time. What do you think? Oh, shoot, he got away. Darn it. I hate it when that happens. Unless I'm Bill Clinton, in which case that's what I made sure happened. So. But I digress. So here's the issue, the issue at hand. They're lying through their teeth yet again. Everyone who talks about him making the decision in the vacuum, everyone who's suggesting that President Trump doesn't have constitutional authority to be able to carry out an attack who is plotting against American interest, that absolutely is the executive's responsibility. It's what Donald Trump has acted on that Bill Clinton failed to act on. It's a fact that if Bill Clinton had taken the shot more than two years prior to 9-11, that he talked about approximately 10 hours before the 9-11 attack started. Osama bin Laden would have been dead more than two years before 9-11. And it's a fact that if Donald Trump decides to take the time to phone a friend and to see if he can get buy-in, that the situation on the ground is going to be different than what it was last night. There are seven people that are dead. And guess what? They're all terrorists, including the leading state sponsor of terrorism. That's something to be celebrated. And Chuck, we're not dumb. President Trump didn't operate in a vacuum. He didn't say at random, you know what? Go track down, uh, go track down this guy's all money. Wherever he is, go get him right now and just uh, fire some stuff at him. This is something that was brought to him by the CIA and something that was brought to him by Pentagon officials. And they said, Mr. President, you have an opportunity before you. What are you going to do? That is anything but in the vacuum. That is utilizing the resources that are the best in the world with our military and with our intelligence community. And here's the irony of ironies. The Chuck Schumers on the left. What were they saying about Donald Trump in the intelligence community not too terribly long ago? You remember? You need to listen to the intelligence community. You're being disrespectful of the intelligence community. How dare you speak ill of the intelligence community? You undermining and, and calling out people like James Comey and the way that you've gone about, uh, you know, calling out, uh, you know, Lisa Page. And P- that you're undermining American intelligence. Remember that? Remember how not all that long ago, Chuck Schumer and company saying that what Donald Trump needed to do, listen to the intelligence community? Where are they today? It's very sad. In the name of politics, just how little Chuck Schumer, just how little Nancy Pelosi, just how little everyone who's come out to oppose in some form or fashion a great American success. It's remarkable 
and it's sad just how far gone these people are. They do not represent the American interest. They count on you being ignorant. They lie openly, and because of the godless, soulless, and slanderous news media that they think that people pay attention to, but largely don't anymore, they think they can get away with it. Well, that's why we're here. But it also isn't working. So you take a look at President Trump. There's some fascinating things that are playing out. I mentioned that Chuck Schumer's approval rating is currently 28%. Oh, Chuck, you need a friend? Yeah, there's an interesting thing, what's going on in this country. There always has been an incumbency advantage. Incumbent presidents generally win. 65% of presidents running for election do win. But there's a funny thing that continues to play out. Take, for example, where President Trump is, even just in an average of all approval ratings right now. You know where he is? Well, for starters, nearly 20 points higher than Chuck Schumer. Nearly 10 points higher than Nancy Pelosi as an impeached president. But he also, among likely voters, is two points higher today than Barack Obama, the same date in his presidency. See, as frustrating as this all is, and as much as we can't take any of it for granted, desperate people do desperate things. Desperate people say desperate things. And they look smaller and more pathetic by the day. I don't doubt that even the average person who is struggling to have survived the education establishment in this country, I don't think even they are confused about the head of state sponsor of terrorism, about him being dead, about that being a good thing. See, in the real America, I think we still have a clue. And I think you're getting ready to see something that is nearly unprecedented. One of the remarkable and unaccounted for things by your mainstream news media, by the Chuck Schumers of the world and everybody who thought that uh, Hillary Clinton would just have a parade straight into the presidency in 2016. They lost track of the real America. People who saw somebody who actually was different. And maybe they would do what they said they would do. And turned out and vote. Many for the first time. There is a grassroots undercurrent that we're beginning to see. Participation, even in some of these polls, that didn't used to exist. That suggests we're going to have round two of that. Because there are many more people hanging out, haven't voted, they're like, holy crap, he really did follow through. And you can't take away from the success of this country. And you can't take away from the fact that the average person is doing better than they ever have. That this country is performing better than it ever has. And it's transparent that no matter what it is, whether it's the economy, whether it's keeping us safe and taking out terrorists, they're going to oppose the president. And you have to be one hell of a miserable person, one hell of a miserable person in the face of the best economy with the average person doing better than they've ever done before, with the eradication of the top terrorists in the world, to be unhappy about it all. These are miserable people. They're disgusting people. They're people that align themselves 
with the interests of Iran over the United States of America. They are the Democrats of 2020. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Last night, the United States conducted a military operation designed to kill Major General Qasim Soleimani, a notorious terrorist. No one should shed a tear over his death. The operation against Soleimani in Iraq was conducted, however, without specific authorization and any advance notification or consultation with Congress. Again, these people think you're stupid. There's a but. Yeah, he's this horrible terrorist, but. No, there is no but, Chuck Schumer. He's the president of the United States. The intelligence community came to him and said he is getting ready to kill more Americans. Now, we don't know the rest of the story, the details, but we have been given that much. And the CIA and Pentagon officials, they went to the president and said, what are you going to do? He said, we're taking him out. And he did. And seven terrorists, including the lead sponsor of state-sponsored uh, terrorism, the world is dead. And the world is a safer place because of it. And what do you get? But. There is no but. And it's an outrage to expect the President of the United States, in a real-time situation, with the terrorists on the move, to phone a friend and to... Call in Congress, maybe we can get this uh, conference call and, uh, you know, set up before, uh, before they get to their destination. I mean, it's outrageous. What country do you support, Chuck Schumer? So right now, your interests are more closely aligned with the Mullahs in Iran than they are American interests, here or abroad. Now, there's an inconvenient truth that has nothing to do with the anti-American sentiment of Chuck Schumer and company. It has everything to do with what is really going on in Iraq right now. You might notice that we've been having an increase in problems there. You might have noticed that with the attack on our embassy earlier this week, where, where was the Iraqi military? I mean, they, they do have an Iraqi military. They were even in proximity to, to our embassy. What they do? Near as we can tell nothing, right? We kind of stood back and watched it happen. The only reason our embassy was spared is because we had our troops hit the ground and disperse the terrorists. 
that were there in an orchestrated event by Soleimani. Now, this takes us back to uh, another big problem we got going. Right now in Iraq, yes, Iraq, the country that we ended up spending how much time, money, blood, creating a new regime and trying to foster and everything else, Iraqis are looking to try to vote out, vote out the United States of America from their country. Yeah, they're trying to remove us from Iraq. Quite clear where their allegiances lie. Now, this gets back to something that is a much bigger problem that we've got in that region. It's what we're really up against. It's not just about proximity in the region. It's not just about Iraq wanting to do their own thing. Very much is about what they believe in. And one of the big mistakes that we made, one of the big miscalculations, when we ended up making that march to Baghdad, we ended up taking down Saddam Hussein, when we had the mission accomplished, taking place with President Bush, was that we were under this naive mindset that a majority of the people in Iraq wanted something similar to what we want. Hey, we're giving you a chance of freedom. Go get it. Why didn't that happen? Well, unfortunately, you got a lot of people that don't believe anything near the way we do. In fact, quite the opposite. See, this is still about Islam. This is still about Islam under Sharia law, being, being absolutely evil. It is about Iraq right now being governed under Sharia, just as Iran is. Difference is, sure, to a certain extent, to a certain degree, specific interest, but much more mutual interest. So we got some big problems that are brewing. We've got lessons that we need to have learned. But we have one less terrorist the most significant left standing in the world today. And that should send a message to the Iraqi government as well. Pick up on that point and get to your calls coming up next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. champion of liberty and true conservatism. Call Mark now, 877-381-3811. This morning, Iran's master terrorist is dead. The architect and chief engineer for the world's most active state sponsor of terrorism has been removed. All right, it is Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. May follow me at Brian Mudd Radio and got this one from Patriot Girl 24. She said, do you think the new terrorist technique should be to force the jihadists to watch CNN or to be waterboarded? It's a two-pointer, but beyond that, got me thinking. The early days of Gitmo, you know what they used to play? Britney Spears. Britney Spears. But actually, you know, I kind of felt bad for her, you know? <laughs> like for for the world to know that uh, the, the, what they're playing to try to get people, try to get terrorists in in Gitmo to give up the goods is is your music, but uh, kind of appropriate when you think about like hit me baby one more time. Anyway, uh, just before the break, 
talking about the issues that we do have. And they're nothing new. When we take a look at some of the commonalities, the interests of some of these countries, they're unique. But when you have a country that is governed by Sharia law, and if you're not familiar with Sharia law, the reason I say it's evil, if you think, for example, a woman who is raped shouldn't be stoned to death, you're probably not going to be a fan of Sharia law. If you think that a woman who has sex out of wedlock deserves to live, you're probably not on board with Sharia law. If you think that a woman should have equal rights, you most certainly do not believe in Sharia law. If you think that a homosexual should not be killed. Now, I mean, technically, in the Quran, it talks about stoning. But these days in Iran, uh, that's a whole stoning. Sometimes that can take a while to arrange. So they've been known recently just kind of like throw people off buildings. So unless you think it's good to have homosexuals, Burned off of buildings or stone, you're probably not a fan of Sharia law. And on that particular note, the issue we have with Iran, with Iraq, with any number of other countries, well, it has something to do with what they're governed by and their belief system. So if you take a look at the current countries around the world that practice Sharia law, they are these. Afghanistan. Egypt, Indonesia, Iran, Iraq, Malaysia, Maldives, Nigeria, Pakistan, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Sudan, United Arab Emirates, and Yemen. When was the last time we had a lot of luck for an extended period of time with any of these countries? And notice how every time, I mean, it seems like things are going smoothly for a while in Saudi Arabia, we get another reminder about, oh, yeah, that's uh, who exported terrorism to us. Uh, that's who was responsible for Bill. Oh, that's right. That's who was just responsible for the terrorist attack at Naval Air Station Pensacola. And by the way, the untold story about Naval Air Station Pensacola beyond the Saudi Arabian terrorists who carried out the attack at the air station in a gun-free zone. It's a whole other issue. You know that there are a number of other Saudis that were part of that program? Yeah, what didn't end up making your godless souls and, and slanderous news media, by and large, was that you had this whole community. It's all part of this foreign training program that has now been suspended. But as part of this program, it wasn't just this one terrorist. Oh, yeah, you had a whole group of Saudis. They were all in on this. In fact, they were watching the night before that terrorist attack videos of mass killings. Isn't that cute? We had these people that are actually quoting Osama bin Laden while they were training with American forces at Naval Air Station Pensacola. Isn't that cool? Anyway, I digress. Saudi Arabia. Still a problem. Because when you have people that believe that women are subservient, when you have people that believe that if you don't believe like they do, you should die, we got issues. And that is what Islam under Sharia believes. So as we take a look at Iran, Iraq, governed by Sharia, tells you why things didn't work out the way we planned way back when, when we toppled Saddam, why you didn't have 
enough people that said, yeah, let's do freedom. No, not exactly what they're looking for. And it's why we are always going to have tension with all these countries and these regions. The, the question then becomes, what is it and how is it that we do send a message? How is it that we do protect our interests? How is it that we do de-escalate? How is it that we do keep war at bay? Well, call me old-fashioned, but if you kill the people that are responsible for orchestrating it, I think you have a pretty good chance of keeping it at bay. At a minimum, right? I mean, just a little crazy thought. So, that might be why it's a win to take out the leader of state-sponsored terrorism in Iran. Just, just a thought. Let's go to Ron in Monmouth, Oregon. Ron, go. Hey, sir. God bless you and Levin and everybody else and Mr. Director. I want to say that the man has made my heart feel better. The president made my heart feel better. I have a friend of mine that was uh, in Marines in Beirut. Solomon's been part of that. They're killing Laurel. Coordinating yeah. with God dang um, Gaddafi, when the Navy guy got thrown off the TWA flight, and it also avenges the situation in Italy when Mr. Klinghoff was thrown off the Achilles Laurel. And I felt like the president had made a very good situation, and for these people, the Schumers and everybody else in the world, to go against what America stands for peace, loving, caring, charitable, and at the same time, we have to stand up against tyrants that tries to dictate and control our world. I say it, it, what they're doing is peeping on the guys that served in World War II that gave us the freedoms and endowments that survived in the Depression for what we got. And I'm very thankful that we have a president with forgiveness and grace by God to do what he's done. Good stuff. And God bless you, Ron, and everybody who served. And that was not lost on me today. As you hear everybody on the left going, yeah, but, and yeah, but, and indicating that they would not have taken out the terrorists. What is that really? To the greater than 600 Americans that have been killed as a result of his terror attacks, is that not the middle finger to them and their families? What kind of message does that send? But, again, not something that you're likely to hear in your godless souls and news media. But, again, there are more of us than them. Honestly, believe that. All right, let's go to Donna in Frederick, Maryland. Donna, go. Hi, Brian. Thanks. Happy New Year. I just want to say it's been a wonderful day for America. Uh, President Trump has honored his commitment to the American people, and we should all be especially thankful and prayerful about the upcoming year. What concerns me going forward is we now see the spotlight on the Democrats and the hypocrites they've always been. They've always aligned with radical Islam. They don't allow us to say it, but that's what it is. And it goes all the way back, like I believe it was caller Jimmy said, to the Carter years. And I think about how Bill Clinton neglected to do something when he had an opportunity to prevent so many deaths. I think about Hillary Clinton, how in Benghazi, she neglected to do something and could have prevented many deaths. So hat tip to President Trump, to the conservative media, who are doing all the, the heavy lifting that the radical leftist media won't. And I thank you a million times over for this. And likewise, Donna, uh, something that I never take for granted, I, I know the great one doesn't. We don't do this without you. This is about us 
You know, we talk to ourselves, and, and thank you for your support, uh, supporting this show, supporting the sponsors. It's the reason that we're here. And Lord knows there are enough forces out there that do what they can to try to take us out. Uh, so it's, it's a two-way street, and uh, we are winning. Let's go to Bill in Las Vegas. Bill, go. Good morning, or actually good afternoon. <laughs> well, you are in Vegas, so anything's possible. I, I won't fall to you if you're just getting up. <laughs> no, I'm actually getting off work. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's funny because in the Reagan years, Reagan came down and ticked off the Democrats back then, but it was a different culture because he wasn't allowed to tweet, but he came out and the news had no other choice but to cover him. And even back then, it was like, I'm going to take down the wall. And he got up there and made a speech to take down the wall. That fell. Now you have Trump that's doing the same thing, moving to a different generation and different social platforms and media coverage and stuff like that. And it, I think it's just driving them nuts that he says, I'm going to protect my American citizens. I'm going to protect my soldiers. People are going to be protected. They're going to be backed up. We're not going to have this. Now, people are sitting there saying, oh, if you have a war with Iran, where was the war with Iran? You took the, the head moron out now. You took another head moron out. So how many more next morons that are going to come up the stage that are going to be a target? And it shows you, once again, the dichotomy of where this country once was, where something like this would have been celebrated. There was a time where it didn't matter what your political party was. The top terrorists in the world being taken out is a win. The knowledge from our intelligence agencies and military officials that he was plotting in real time, to kill more Americans, that would have been applauded that it was stopped. So it really does show you. But again, it gets back to desperate people doing desperate things. It, there's so much more than just the politics as usual. Now, for some people, it is pure ignorance in politics. It was uh, J.C. Watt who ended up espousing this. You remember... You know, rising star in politics in Oklahoma, former Heisman winner. And then all of a sudden, he just bowed out of politics early part of last decade and surprised a lot of people. And he summed up the political landscape as 80, 10, and 10. What he said is that it's extremely frustrating when you're really trying to do the right thing and what you believe in because you have 10% of the people in Congress that really give a damn and are doing everything they can to try to do what they believe is right for the country. You've got 80% that are just trying to win their next election, and you got about 10% that are just happy to be there. Now, times have changed to a certain extent, but there's probably a lot of truth to all of it. And in that context, if all you're trying to do is win your next election— you at some point might put everything first except your country. Because if your country is succeeding, if we're eliminating threats around the world, if we have a record performance in the economy, if we have near record low unemployment and record low unemployment for every single minority group in this country, if we have record high wages, record retirement account balances, 
At some point, if all you're trying to do is win your next election, and you said this guy was going to end up sending us into the next depression, and many of these leftists, many of these elected Democrats said just that, exactly. You're shown to be a fraud. But there's more. Because the rest of it is part of the conspiracy. So John Durham and his impaneled grand jury that awaits criminal indictments. There is a who's who of Democrat operatives, of deep state officials that are in the crosshairs. See, this isn't just about politics as usual. For some, especially many in leadership, they have to go to bed every night knowing that they literally conspired against the President of the United States. And that we had an Attorney General who came into office earlier this year that appointed someone who's legitimately investigating and is on to him. And they have to sit there and they have to be worried day in and day out about if their number is about to be called. And that's the other part of the desperation that is starting to set in. Talk more about that in just a bit. Brian Mudd in for the great one. Mud Lovin'. Continue their political delay. They're searching desperately for some new talking points to help them deflect blame for what they've done. It doesn't always sound impressive coming out, but once he gets there, I mean, there's some good things that happen. You know, recently, Monday, we're talking about the uh, record judges that have been confirmed, which is likely to be the greatest legacy, actually, of one Donald J. Trump. And also, Mitch McConnell, as much as we can talk about the economy, success against terrorism, it really is going to be remaking the courts. Uh, Ultimately, that will end up winning the day. And the desperation that McConnell's talking about, what I was referencing just before the break, remember, this is about two different things for the left. When you align yourself completely against somebody, You know, there's a difference, and you can kind of think about this in your own life. Have you harbored true hate for somebody? And and it's a very unfortunate thing if that's the case, but think about the difference between really being upset with somebody because of their actions versus harboring absolute hate for the individual. See, if you disagree with somebody, and, and strongly, about actions, if you condemn certain things, if you have a different belief system, we can respect each other and disagree on the issues. And we might be frustrated, but we, it's not at the, the premise. It's not at the foundation level. What you have is what's become essentially an ideology to oppose Donald Trump. They hate the man. And so... It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's good for the United States of America. They hate not just him. They hate it at that point. They oppose it. That's why it's, well, yeah, he was a terrorist, but. No, there's no but. This is a win. See, uh, the other thing about terrorism, kind of a consistent threat 
most pervasive form of bias in news media is omission. And since 9-11, how many Islamic terror attacks do you think we've had worldwide since 9-11? I mean, just kind of a wild guess to get a number in your brain. You ready? 36,153. See, eh, fairly frequent what goes on. In fact, you might not have even been aware that today we've already had two terror attacks. One in Afghanistan, one in Nigeria. Doesn't make the news in your average day, but it's out there. It's what we got to be mindful of and protect against. We'll talk about what's real, what isn't. Coming up next, I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. If you come after Americans on President Trump's watch, you do so at your peril. All the things that Suleimani had done in the past were real. But he's not dead today because of what he did in the past. He's dead today because he miscalculated what President Trump would do regarding future attacks. Sure enough, uh, right, Lindsey Graham. And we are hearing from multiple media sources of a potential strike, another airstrike, uh, that potentially could be against Iraqi forces that were being supported and sympathetic to Iranian causes. It is Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. I host the Morning Rush, WJNO in West Palm Beach, the Brian Mudd Show, WIOD in Miami. You may follow me on Twitter, at Brian Mudd Radio, and it's always an honor and a pleasure being right here with you, guest hosting for Mark Levin. Now, whether that is the case or not, there are a couple things that are really important to the context of this conversation. Brought a couple of them up last hour. One of the issues we've got ongoing isn't just Iran, it's Iraq. It became completely apparent with the embassy issues earlier in the week where Iraq stood. And that was away from us watching our embassy get attacked. Yeah, the Iraqi military was there. They chose to do nothing. Well, that tells you quite a bit. And then what have they been up to over the past 24 or so hours? Well, as we were eradicating the top terrorists in the world, they were going, huh? Well, maybe we should vote to have the Americans leave Iraq. So there's actually a movement underfoot in Iraq for that purpose. Now, I've spoken about the issues and assuming that the Iraqis would ever want what we want, that you would have a solid majority that would believe in freedom the way we do, that it was always ignorant to think that would be the case because, well, they have a belief system that's just a little bit different than ours. Sharia law, minor differences. Now, when you take a look at the issues with the Iraqi government, okay, so we have to deal with it. And maybe we are even right now in sending another clear message. As we wait for those reports to clear up, here's one thing that is evident. Why is it we're able to carry these attacks out the way we are? Walk you back to a time that was pre the war in Iraq. I had a a number of officials that I spoke with that were in leadership on a somewhat consistent basis, even during the war. 
the time I was doing radio in Savannah, which is a military town, in the 3rd Infantry Division, which is uh, the division when you saw the statues being toppled in Baghdad, the 3rd ID out of Fort Stewart. They were the ones making that happen. So having some friends in leadership received uh, regular information from what they were able to tell me throughout the course of the time, leading up to the charge of Baghdad afterwards and in years later. And I had multiple people tell me that it was never a war for oil and all that horse crap. And there wasn't even necessarily the expectation that the Iraqi government was going to embrace us with open arms. But what we needed more than anything in that region was a foothold, something where we could plant our resources and be able to respond. And they knew that if Saddam Hussein were still the leader of Iraq, there's no way in Hades that's ever taking place. So you got to eliminate him to be able to get a foothold. And one thing that was interesting as I was hearing some of this, not knowing if it were true or not, was that you did see that even before we had taken out Saddam Hussein officially, we actually did have staging taking place, what ultimately became bases and, and you know, footholds for us in Iraq. Previously, we'd hang out in Saudi Arabia, and if they felt good on a particular day, we might be able to carry out some type of mission. Really hard for us to militarily be able to carry out what we needed to. That all changed once, we'd be able to, uh, once we were able to gain that foothold in Iraq. As we carry out missions, like against Soleimani, whatever this alleged airstrike is that is breaking right now, those types of missions, the type of intelligence, the type of operations, they wouldn't be the same. And so that might be another big piece of the story and the puzzle ongoing, and a reason why we do keep those strategic assets in place. As the president has been very clear and has, on a regular basis, withdrawn resources from other parts of the Islamic world. Just a little food for thought. Now, talking about the desperation of Democrats, the desperation of the left, what really has been playing out here for some time, for the people who all they do is want to win their next election, everything they put their eggs in, everything they had misled about it has been shown to be a lie. From President Trump making the world less safe, we're safer today, with actually fewer troops deployed than before he was president. With him representing economic despair, we have the best economy in the history of the United States of America. Record incomes, record low unemployment rates for every minority, record opportunity in this economy. For the trade wars to be the detriment of everything to the American consumer, here we are with extremely low inflation. That's why the Fed's actually been cutting interest rates. And you go out and get a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage uh, for half of what you were able to 15 years ago. So as you begin to take a look at all these various different aspects of life that have blown up in their face because Donald Trump has followed through on his promises, and when you give the American free enterprise system even just a little bit of room to breathe, well, it does what it does. And so it's kind of funny how that works. There's something else that's been in play. And on Monday's show, guest hosting for Mark Levin, it was a theme that I touched on. What the impeachment process really was about, in my view, 
from Nancy Pelosi's standpoint and what still is going on even with issues in the rhetoric you're hearing out of Democrats in leadership today. Who is driving the message? So a quick version of it, if you haven't heard me discuss this. I believe that the battle for the Democrats is analogous to what the battle for the Republican Party was leading up to Donald Trump becoming president. Real quickly, we had the establishment Republicans uh, that ended up creating so much angst with constitutionalists that you had the Tea Party break out. The Tea Party went back and forth, back and forth for multiple election cycles. Some wins for the Tea Party, some wins for the establishment, and then Donald Trump came around and smashed the whole dang thing, remade the party in his own image. Boom, here we are. Well, when you take a look at Democrats, I believe that a similar thing was playing out just a couple of years after the Tea Party started. Occupy Wall Street. You walk back to 2011. The overt socialist and communist movement on the left began to be known in the streets of our country. That ended up leading ultimately to Bernie Sanders gaining a lot of momentum in the 2016 cycle. And that ended up leading in last year's election cycle to overt socialists, the squad, winning seats in Congress. Now, here we were throughout the midpoint of this year. And who was driving the message? Was it Nancy Pelosi? Was she the real leader in the House? Or was it AOC? Was it Tlaib? Was it Omar? They had all the oxygen in the room, right? They were driving the message. Nancy Pelosi and downplayed impeachment by and large right along. But then suddenly, eh, she changed that message. Now, my belief is, much like you saw the Tea Party throw John Boehner out, only to make another mistake with Paul Ryan, which is a different story, but nevertheless, you were seeing... Democrats getting ready to throw Nancy Pelosi overboard. And she was seeing her opportunity for power going by the wayside. And so she was managing to the crisis. And the first crisis was to consolidate power in her own party. And how do you do that? Well, you do it by appeasing the radical, the most radical wing of your party. And so you go for impeachment. And it worked, and it has to this point within her party, right? Once she called for impeachment, what happened? When was the last time you can remember AOC driving the agenda? Is there any question whatsoever that Nancy Pelosi is the power player for Democrats in the House, and really in Congress generally? So that's effective, but it managed to a crisis. Well, as that continues to play out, and we'll talk more about where we stand with the impeachment ridiculousness in a minute. There's something else that continues to go on. When big issues come up, like this, for example, which is an easy one. This is, you're on the one-inch line, and it's first down. All you got to do is get that ball one inch, you score a touchdown. It really isn't hard to find common ground when you have the top sponsor of terrorism in the world taken out. That's a win for the country. But has Nancy Pelosi gotten that inch today? Oh, no. Any Democrats in leadership? No. I mean, yeah, he's a bad guy, but there's always a but. Why is there a but? Why can't they just acknowledge the world is a safer place today because a dis- disgusting, evil 
man who was responsible for the death of more than 600 Americans and plotting more is gone? Well, because what is the most radical wing of the party saying today? And Nancy to every issue, and Democrats to every issue that come about, they're having to embrace positions to consolidate power and to keep them at bay and to stay in control of the message that is now literally anti-American, as anti-American as that party has become. And that, as much as anything, is what has been driving the party to the left and not just the 2020 candidates. That's something to watch in this entire process. That's why the dynamic has changed. That's why a Democrat of even 10 years ago isn't a Democrat today, let alone of JFK, who, as my dad will tell you, is more conservative than the average Republican today. When we talk about what's really going on, the Democrats are in crisis. And you are winning. And this is setting up to be a historic year, and not just historic in the sense that every presidential election cycle is. We got something big that's going on. And I'm going to bring up a line of thought that you probably haven't heard about. Has the president actually been impeached? What am I talking about? Got that coming up for you next. I'm Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mud Lovin. sole job was to do just export terrorism throughout the Middle East and do so in Iraq. To be caught right there in Baghdad is appropriate. But it also shows that this president, using our military, our intelligence, our State Department, doesn't draw red lines. He says, no, we're going to act. Yeah, imagine that. And if you say you act, and you, you do. Huh. Miscalculation, I guess. Now, speaking of miscalculations, this whole impeachment thing, it is blowing up on the Democrats right now. How do you know this? Well, what has Nancy Pelosi done with the articles of impeachment? Brian Mudd in for the great one, Mark Levin. Now, there's actually an interesting uh, kind of intellectual exercise that was presented by a listener. Just a, a straightforward question earlier this week that I uh, thought I'd introduce to you. Question that was brought to me. If the House is responsible for impeachment but doesn't turn over the articles, how can Democrats say Trump's been impeached? If the House is responsible for impeachment but doesn't turn over the articles, has he been impeached, really? Let's think about this, because it helps illustrate some important points just going through this intellectual exercise. Now, Democrats, can they say he's impeachable? Of course. You did have a majority in the House vote on two articles of impeachment. But has he actually been impeached? Now, the Constitution... It's clear. It lays out the impeachment process. House and Senate co-equal bodies of Congress. House has the responsibility to investigate, introduce, vote on any impeachment articles. Senate, job, hold a trial, determine the outcome of those articles. Now, as we discussed, no president has ever been convicted and removed from office. But does Nancy Pelosi's current refusal to turn over the articles mean that the process hasn't even been completed in the House and thus... Not been impeached. Let, let's use a criminal law process to go through this exercise. So the first step would be, in, in criminal law, you have an investigation of alleged illegal acts that are carried out by law enforcement. This would be analogous to the various House committees interviewing witnesses, gathering information, 
for potential impeachment proceedings. Your second step, once law enforcement has gathered evidence determined to be sufficient to identify a, a suspect they'd like to charge with the crime of the crimes, it's presented to a judge or a magistrate to obtain that arrest warrant. Now, this would be analogous to the House committees voting to introduce the articles of impeachment. And your third step, once a, a judge or a magistrate, they decide that the evidence is sufficient to authorize the arrest warrant presented to law enforcement to carry out an arrest. That would be analogous to the House voting to impeach. So we can pause at that point because it's where we are in this process. If you have an issued warrant, but it's never acted on, what happens to the suspect? Nothing, right? They weren't arrested. They weren't indicted. Never a trial. So don't need to even have the conversation about guilt or innocence. And this example and this distinction, I think, would ultimately make the case, perhaps, that the process, until and unless Nancy Pelosi turns over those articles, hasn't been completed. Perhaps the president hasn't been impeached. So, yeah, it's something that is an interesting exercise. But what's also an interesting exercise is to take a look at what's happened throughout the course of this process. So I like to say there are two sides of stories and one side of facts. And without a doubt, this process has backfired on Democrats. Never mind the fact that we were told all during that impeachment process in the House that what? Oh my gosh, the reason we have to rush through this thing is why? Because Donald Trump is such a threat to this country that we just can't wait any longer. We've got to get this through. We've got to get it to the Senate so he can be held accountable and removed by God in the name of the United States of America. Well, funny thing happened on the way to that argument being uh, upheld by Nancy Pelosi. Once again, showing the liars that they all are. But about the backfire... Talk about that coming up next. Also, get your phone calls in as well. Brian Mudd filling in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, the most popular conservative author in America. Call in to the Mark Levin Show now at 877 3811. With all due respect uh, to the critics, what would they say if the president just allowed the continued uh, attacks on the embassy and, and the continued loss of American lives? And I remind everybody that there have been recent losses of American lives in Iraq that are directly tied to Soleimani. So it's a completely appropriate. Oh, no, let's not uh, you know, get bogged down with the truth. I mean, and pesky things like, you know, Americans being killed and the like. I mean, he's just... You know, Trump bad. And so whatever he does, you know, it's the heads uh, I win, tails you lose. And when you take a look at what actually is going on in the desperation, you know, when you have bullies, what are they really doing? They're projecting uh, something that is a real fault of their own. And so desperate people doing desperate things. John Durham waits in the wings with an impaneled grand jury. We have for years now been following. The great one has been telling you every step of the way what's coming and the people that are accountable. The highest levels of intelligence agencies, the State Department, 
Justice Department, people that are going to be held to account once we have the indictments by John Durham. Numerous people that know that they are at fault wondering if they're going to end up being in the midst of all of this. We see that Donald Trump, first and foremost, being an incumbent president of the United States, already has an incumbency advantage. And then we see, on top of it, holy crap, everything he's doing seems to be working. And so you have a desperate political party that is aligned with hate, hate against the president, does hate against the country because it's all working and it's doing well. And then you have Nancy Pelosi so desperate to consolidate power that she goes along with impeachment. And now the articles, where are they? So I went through an uh, interesting, I, I think, intellectual exercise about whether or not President Trump really has been impeached until and unless those articles are handed over to the Senate, thus completing the House process. Maybe Nancy's going to go, you know what? I, I don't know where this article is. We lost the articles. The craziest thing. The holidays. You know, stuff happened. We had to go. The articles are gone. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe that'll happen. Because ultimately, this whole thing is backfiring. Now, one of the things I like to do, a regular political update. And I use average polling just as a temperature check. And again, I know a lot of people that hear polls and they go, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, no. If you know how to use information and not take one poll literally and try to just do something with one one poll, one piece of information, you really can draw deductions over the course of time. And the first thing to know, three weeks ago, for example, Donald Trump was not quite yet impeached, and his average approval rating was forty-four percent across all polls, all samples. All right. Where is he today? Well, he's averaged over the past week 46%. So the first thing is, his approval rating has risen two points since he's been impeached. Isn't that quaint? Now, there's more to this story. One of the things that's been true throughout the course of this presidency, your average boob on the street. You know, you go and you do the man on the street, the boob on the street, and they go, oh, yeah, Trump bad. Why? Well, you know, bad. Orange men or something. So... You, you ask, like, adult-only samples, and if you take a look at those polls, they have always shown President Trump to perform the least. Their boobs on the street. Then you get into registered voters, and the slightly more informed and slightly more engaged, we have seen consistently that he performs better there. And then when you get to likely voters, those most informed and engaged, well, guess what? We see that consistently, his entire presidency thus far, he has performed highest with likely voters. And that continues to be the case. So it's not just that President Trump's average approval rating has been rising. It just so happens that among registered voters, he's been at 44% over the past week. But among likely voters, if you take a look at those samples, he's averaged 48%. Now, if you knew nothing about nothing else about polls, that might not mean anything, might not sound interesting. But then... If you take a look using history as a guide, there's a lot that's highly instructive about this. First things first, you know what Barack Obama's approval rating on average among likely voters was? This date in his presidency is 46%. So Barack Obama, on his way to re-election, had an approval rating with likely voters two points lower than your impeached President Donald Trump. Hmm, that doesn't necessarily portend good things for Democrats, nor does this. How about the people that are actually working on the impeachment of the process, of the president? Nancy Pelosi, our friend Nancy, how's she doing? 
Well, her average approval rating, 39% currently. And Chuck Schumer, oh, Chuck, he's just looking for a friend. 28% approval. All right, so here you have the president that is far more approved of than the person who has impeached him and the person in the Senate waiting on those articles if Nancy actually ever turns them over. Oh, and there's another data point that I take a look at. The direction of the country question. So remember how great things were during the Obama administration? I mean, your godless solace and slanderous news media told you every day just how great things were, right? I mean, it was uh, Obama. Yeah. I mean, it didn't matter that you couldn't make more money. It didn't matter that you couldn't get a good job. It didn't matter that, you know, you're you're pretty much just stuck where you were stuck during those years. He was great. Well, it's a funny thing. Here we are with the incessant negativity by your GSS media, by the leftists, and we are 9% more optimistic than we were in the aggregate of the Obama years. That's interesting. And then one little note, the president's overall re-election odds. Now, one thing I've done over the course of time is taken a look based upon where a given president happens to be relative to predecessors. If you take a look at the overall approval on a particular date, and you see how that uh, president performed in their re-election bid, you have an idea. And so here's the first thing to note. Independent of who the Democrats are, President Trump, based on any sample you take a look at, any of the average polls that are out there, guess what? He's the odds-on favorite to win. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in just a few. But first, let's go to Paul in Michigan. Paul, go. Yes, I'd like to bring up one uh, particular point here uh, in the Bible. It says that blessed are the peacemakers, and there's many roads to peace. Of course, it would always be great if we just could all be peaceful. Peaceful people in the world that are causing such destruction. And, uh, you know, today President Trump was talking to evangelicals. I think it would be a good point, and I would like to get your view on this. Don't you sometimes have to take action to just, you know, create the peace that needs to be created. And as you said earlier, you know, what President Clinton didn't do could have avoided a lot of destruction and violence. I believe that sometimes uh, we, we need to pray for our president to make the right decisions. What's your thoughts? I say amen, and you're right on point. And first, yes, about the president, he is at El Rey Jesus. Uh, he was there for uh, the kickoff of the Evangelicals for Trump. Uh, that's in Western Kendall, which is a suburb of Miami. And a uh, it, it, the passion around that event, absolutely huge. And it's hilarious watching the leftist media down here trying to cover it. I mean, we heard any number of other things, like there could even be illegal immigrants there. Will you have people deported from the Trump rally? The pastor of the church speaks in tongues. I mean, it's just, anyway, uh, again, desperate people doing desperate things. But relative to your question about what ultimately is peace through strength. I mean, Reagan taught us something about it, right? We won a war without having to fight the war, right? Peace through strength. President Trump, there was a clear miscalculation by Soleimani. I don't imagine. I mean, he's been involved in Iranian terror since 1979. I'm not thinking that he's getting in that convoy near Baghdad, near the airport, because he's thinking that Donald Trump's going to take him out. And one of the things that the left has tried to do, it's not just the effort 
to try to get Trump, whatever that happens to mean at any given time, up to and including an impeachment and removal. They've tried to undermine him and weaken him in numerous ways as well. By going after people who have gotten close to him, they've attempted to take really talented people and make them not want to be anywhere near his universe, all in an effort to keep him from being successful. But he's been able to define that and continue to be successful in the face of all of it. And part of that is the peace through strength message. Ultimately, when you see that the president is a straight shooter, and in the case of Barack Obama, he made things less safe by saying what? Here's a red line. Well, Iran would cross it. What would happen? Nothing. When Donald Trump says, here's a red line, and then that's crossed and you die, okay, from a biblical perspective, is the world safer? Is there more peace when you have somebody who's not out there conspiring to kill many more people? If you just took at face value those seven terrorists that are killed, well, you had the leader of the seven terrorists that were killed that was responsible for the death of more than 600 Americans alone and was the person that was organizing all the proxy wars in that region, responsible for untold thousands of deaths over the course of time. And it makes things more peaceful. So, yeah, my two cents. All right, let's go to Brian in Massachusetts. Brian, go. Um, I love your show. Uh, I love the Mark Levine show, both on radio and the uh, Flux uh, Sunday night show. But I just wanted to comment on uh, Trump's leadership, and uh, it's been consistent. It's uh, in stark contrast to what Congress has done, which is basically nothing other than try to take him down. And across the board, everything he's got involved with, the trade, prison reform, uh, this latest um, addressing the uh, terrorist attack, professional leadership, you know, what we'd expect from from a great country like America. And um, I'm hopeful for two things. One is that um, he um, certainly gets reelected, but more importantly, that the Americans see fit to give him a uh, Republican House and, and Senate. Um, we already have the Senate, obviously, but the House. And and second of all, I think it's very important that we get to this the bottom of this illegal wiretapping. It goes to the heart of any type of yes, uh, free society. And um, I'm confident that he's going to continue to show the leadership in that regard because, to me, it's it's critical if we're going to have a uh, keep the republic that um, this type of behavior does not. Amen. Amen, Brian. And uh, going back to January. I remember uh, even certain really talented people in my proximity that were highly skeptical of my belief that William Barr, coming back to his old post as attorney general, was going to make that big of a difference. But I believed at that point he understood what was on the line. And what was on the line? The Republic. Because if the deep state actors responsible for the conspiracy against Donald Trump, the candidate, Team Trump, and then ultimately Donald Trump as president of the United States, if that were allowed to stand— I mean, it's a matter of time. This country is not a free country. You have a whole deep state is acting in its own interest, not the interest of the American people. And so I believe that's coming. I believe John Durham uh, is, uh, you know, and I'm putting a lot of weight on this, but I believe he's going to be the key. And uh, you, you see the impanel grand jury. And what, two, three months ago, it moved from being an impaneled grand jury to a criminally impaneled grand jury waiting for criminal indictments. And I don't think that happened just because he said, hey, you know, hey, make it a little more interesting. I think it's because it got a lot more interesting. And then with the Horowitz report, 
I mean, despite the fact that he was trying to play footsie with his friends in government, he still did not refute a single player or element that we've talked about for quite some time with the actors responsible in the intelligence agencies, responsible at the Justice Department, the State Department, and maybe some other goodies we've yet to hear about. In this thing, there's no telling where it could end, including at the top. Let's go to Dee Dee in Virginia. Dee Dee, go. Hi, how are you doing? All good. Thank you for having me on. One of the points that I want to make that a lot of people are forgetting is in um, the 90s when Clinton was president, he went ahead and did a strike on Afghanistan, and people are forgetting about this. And I was at the NIMJIC, and I remember they made a big deal. It was all secretive. He went ahead and made that strike with no approval from Congress or anybody. Yeah, and, and that, that's long been the case with presidents. Uh, you, you did have Clinton do it. You also had Obama engage in it. In fact, you actually had an American citizen, or he wasn't a citizen, but an American student taken out, as I recall, uh, in one of the strikes with Osama bin Laden, or, or I'm sorry, when Obama was president, and we were targeting uh, adjuncts of al-Qaeda and Islamic terrorists. I mean, w- one of the things you take a look at is the hypocrisy over the course of the time, and there's no question uh, that... If this were an operation that had been carried out by a Democrat as president, that this would be lauded because it's the right thing to do. This isn't about the right thing, though. This is about desperate people doing desperate things. And I'm going to give you an idea as to just the degree of the desperation next. Brian Mudd, in for the great one. Mudd Lovin'. the worst foreign policy blunder uh, in the modern history of the United States. Uh, and as a senator, I'm proud that I helped for the first time in 45 years to utilize the War Powers Act to get the United States out of an unauthorized war uh, in Yemen. Unfortunately, after passing in the House and the Senate, Trump vetoed that legislation. <laughs> that goes in the bucket of guilty pleasure. <laughs> I was uh, I was surfing social media accounts, going for quotes and things on the Salamani, and, and I came across that from the burn. I'm like, what? So you might be go. What? What was that? What's it? Was he at some kind of campaign event with like? No, no. That was the that was Plan A. That was somebody in his digital department putting the putting the beat behind the burn as he delivered the message. Just, it's funny. Um, all right, so talk about desperation. The odds are President Trump will be reelected. There's an incumbency advantage. Historically, 65% of presidents who run for election win. And guess what? As we sit here, January 3rd, 2020, President Donald Trump has a higher approval rating among likely voters than Barack Obama. And if you take a look at just the average of all polls, even the boobs on the street, the odds are nearly 60% that he'd win re-election. If you take a look at likely voters, it bumps up to 64% based on history as a guide. And that's before you get into the Democrats themselves. And when you take a look at the Democrats, well, the interesting thing is, given that President Trump, 
performs best among likely voters? What does that mean? Well, the Democrats' best opportunity might be somebody who could recruit new blood, recruit new voters into the fall, people who hadn't participated. Man, nobody's going to do that like Joe Biden. And Joe, right. So Joe continues to lead, sort of. You know who's actually down a point over the past month? Down a point, 28%. Very interesting to see what's happening here. As we get closer, he's still losing support. A little bit of weakness in that field. And again, President Trump, well, you got a good chance he's going to be reelected this year. And you got a good tr- good chance the House going to be taken back by the Republicans. Have a great weekend. Great one, Mark Levin. He's back on Monday. Bray Mudd, always an honor and a pleasure.